This is Live Well Talk on COVID-19. I'm Dr. Dustin Arnold, Chief Medical Officer at UniPoint Health, St. Luke's Hospital. In today's podcast, I'll cover the latest on COVID-19 vaccines and boosters uh, that were recently approved for Moderna and Johnson & Johnson, as well as uh, touch on the new Merck pill that's coming onto the market uh, and update on natural immunity. Uh, We'll also have uh, uh, our first mailbag segment, our inaugural mailbag segment, where I'll answer some questions from the listeners. What what we're seeing in the hospital is a persistent plateau that we've seen for several weeks, actually six weeks approximately. Uh, And that has been just a steady state of admissions uh, in people that were treated for COVID-19. And this has stayed to be about, oh, roughly 30% of the Uh, ICU volume is COVID-19, the rest being uh, other medical conditions. Again, this is part of this volume is uh, one is that we literally suspended healthcare for six months last year. And I think a lot of these medical conditions are chronic kidney disease and heart disease and diabetes that continue to progress. Uh, And those patients are now uh, uh, being admitted and that's the consequences of that lockdown. I think looking back, I think we'll, uh, we've learned a lot and we probably should do things a little bit different next time. Um, I, I think I'm not sure that telemedicine is the answer. Maybe that's not the right thing to do. It, do, it doesn't replace uh, the office visit, but uh, more to come on that. But that's something that I, I think will need to be addressed at some juncture. The FDA, they've been busy, their advisory committee. Uh, last week, they approved a second dose not a booster, they described it as the second dose for all J&J uh, vaccines uh, for people 18 years of age and older. If you read that, the news release, I found it interesting when you read that is the FDA did not imp- independently review the data. They just took what the company said and made this decision. Now, I believe it's probably the right one. I just found that a little strange that they didn't uh, review the data themselves. The shot with the Johnson & Johnson, the second dose can be uh, two months uh, from the first dose, but it, but the preferred is to be six months for optimal. And that gives what I've described before as the immune system needs to learn how to make the antibody uh, from the vaccine and then n- needs to know how to remember uh, the antibody. And that's why the, the six-month uh, window is probably optimal. Now, at the same time, uh, Moderna was approved at a 19 to zero was the, the vote. Uh, of members of the advisory committee from the FDA to recommend that boosters be delivered for Moderna. Uh, and it does match the same as with the other messenger RNA, Pfizer vaccine. Uh, individuals that are 65 years and older, uh, high-risk professions, healthcare frontline workers, uh, and any patient that you believe as a clinician may not have manifested an adequate response to the vaccine. And that would be patients that have uh, had an organ transplant, are on chemotherapy, have some sort of chronic medical condition that prevents that. This week, uh, General Colin Powell passed away, uh, a true statesman, and and uh, was certainly visible at a time in my life when I was forming forming mentors. And I, I think he he was someone to role model after just uh, on his professionalism and his statesmanship. But he passed away this week and. Uh, he was suffering from, from multiple myeloma, blood cancer, and that probably contributed, among other things, to him uh, dying from COVID, even though he was fully vaccinated. So that's an individual that may may have uh, not have manifested an immune response that 
uh, what we would desire. Also in the news this week was that the uh, Nordic countries, Sweden, Norway, and Finland, they've paused on the Moderna vaccine for the risk of myocarditis. The CDC has not followed that. Um, I continue to uh, believe that the myocarditis is, is a risk, but it's very small. Uh, and that uh, you may want to go with the Johnson & Johnson vaccine if you're, you're truly concerned about that. It was male adolescence. I think if you're over the age of 30 and a male, you're fine. Uh, I know that the FDA and the CDC continue to monitor this, and, and we really haven't heard anything uh, about um, whether or not a similar pause would occur here. I don't know if the Nordic countries had the ability to use Pfizer uh, or, and Moderna and Johnson. Johnson, I'm assuming that it's like the United States. Uh, as we know, we've talked on previous podcasts that uh, Israel had uh, only the uh, Pfizer vaccine for availability. One question that I have that I need to answer and I'll answer on a future podcast is if your risk of developing myocarditis from the first shot and the second shot uh, was a certain percentage, is that amplified if you get a third shot or is it the same risk? And that's something that will that I want to answer personally and, and make recommendations on that. Now will come up in a, a, a future a podcast, so maybe next week. The new oral antiviral from Merck, uh, it's not available for use as a therapeutic for several weeks. The advisory committee from the FDA has reviewed the emergency use authorization application, uh, and they'll uh, make a final ruling, I believe, on November 30th. So hopefully by the end of the year, we'll have our oral antiviral that we can take to help uh, prevent um, the virus from replicating, similar to other antivirals we've had. And I, I, I'm excited that that uh, can be uh, available, and the sooner uh, the better. Some questions that uh, I, I'm asked to uh, and, and try to answer to the best of my ability is whether or not you can uh, mix and match the uh, messenger RNA vaccine. So you got the Pfizer, but then you get the, the booster shot with the Moderna. Um, the advisory committee uh, did approve that to occur if it's not available. The preference is that you use the original and studies will be released soon that will actually break that down as far as what is the immune response when you mix and match. So I hopefully I'll have that on future podcasts as well. The other op update for this week is natural uh, versus vaccine-induced immunity. Um, there's been no additional information from that standpoint. I, I, I have heard of uh, some studies that are being peer-reviewed and be released, which will give us a gauge on uh, natural immunity versus vaccine-induced immunity. But, but, but let, me, let me say this unequivocally. The vaccine protect the vaccinated. If you receive the vaccine, your chances of developing uh, um, death from the COVID is, is uh, 11 times less than those that didn't receive the vaccine. That's first and foremost. Uh, the hospital is not overrun by side effects from vaccines, which indicates to me that they're safe. And likewise, the hospital is not overrun from uh, individuals that are having it the second time, uh, COVID-19. So it, it does reaffirm what we've said previously, vaccines protect from disability and disease, but there is probably something there to natural immunity, which more to come, and that will be confirmed over time. That is the COVID-19 update for this week. Uh, when we return from the break, we're going to have our first uh, edition of the mailbag, where I'll answer uh, questions 
uh, that have been submitted by uh, the intelligent listeners who, uh, who choose to listen to this podcast on a regular basis. Welcome back to the Live Well Talk on COVID-19. This is our first uh, edition of the Mailbag, a new segment on the podcast where uh, I will periodically answer questions from our listeners on trending uh, topics, not, and not only limited to COVID-19. However, uh, this week's questions are, are, are all on COVID-19. Uh, our first question is from Kelvin, uh, and he, he is uh, submitting that the turnaround times for COVID testing and, and subsequent IV therapy or the uh, uh, monoclonal antibody uh, is uh, the earlier the better, and he's absolutely right. Um, his question was framed in the standpoint of, do you actually need to have a positive test prior to getting the antibody? And and you do. That is part of the inclusion criteria. It's still under the emergency use authorization uh, from the CDC and the FDA specifically. And so you do have to have the positive test before we can give it to you. That's just the rules, so to speak. Um, we have expanded it, uh, it, it to include antigen testing, uh, if positive, uh, from commercial outlets, Walgreens, other pharmacies, if it comes back positive. We are accepting that. We didn't initially do that, but we think uh, the high transmission in this community uh, that, that we can confidently move forward by, in delivering the therapy to eligible patients based upon those testing. Um, it definitely, you have a 10-day window to give the monoclonal antibody. And the closer to the onset of symptoms, uh, is better. And our goal really is to get it within five days. I'm not so sure that day three and day five are different, but I do think day eight and day five are different, if that makes sense to the listeners. So uh, we appreciate Kelvin's uh, question. The next question from Joanne, uh, where she was told that wearing a mask, you were breathing in toxin. Is that true or false? So the answer is false. If because if that was the case, then my surgeons who do surgery all day wearing masks would all be dropping over from these toxins. Um, there has been um, anecdotes, and you must be wary the tyranny of the anecdote, but that uh, individuals have retained carbon dioxide uh, from not appropriately exchanging it uh, through a, a mask. And I can imagine that you could put a non approved or non-surgical mask on that would impair your respiratory status. And that's why the recommendation is to use the surgical grade mask. Uh, and it is like the analogy we've used previously on the podcast that there's no study that says I should put on a parachute to jump out of an airplane. Uh, it's just, it's going to help. And that's, that's understood. And I think the mask is the same way that the mask is going to prevent the uh, from the virus from being spread if you're infected, and it is a, a reasonable uh, mitigation factor. And uh, I do support masking. The next question is from Laura. Uh, she hears a lot that pregnant women are not getting vaccinated. What is their fear? And what is your recommendation for pregnant women? Well, the pregnant uh, women they're hesitant to get something new, i.e., the vaccines, uh, because they're, they're pregnant and they have a child and they, we don't know the long-term um, consequences of that. Although as clinicians, and we review the scientific evidence, we review the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology, the Organization for Maternal Fetal Medicine, I can't think of the, uh, the abbreviation at this juncture, but at this time, 
but they both have recommended the vaccines are safe. We know that they protect uh, protect uh, the mother and the baby, um, and they're of value. But at the same time, we recognize that women have a sincere concern about the unknown, and we recognize that and uh, and respect that. But I do uh, encourage pregnant women to to receive the um, uh, vaccine as well as the monoclonal antibody. Uh, and uh, I'm actually quite proud of our obstetrical community uh, for encouraging their patients and uh, actually seeing the patients uh, in the infusion center. Last question is from Chris, and his question is, with the news of the Pfizer vaccine coming for ages 5 to 11, can you give your perspective on vaccinated children, and do you know when the vaccination for children may be approved? Uh, the FDA advisory committee is meeting uh, to consider the request from Pfizer and to amend its original uh, emergency use authorization uh, to to drop that down. I think the meeting is scheduled actually for October 26, which is next week. Um, and then the uh, advisory committee on immunization practices will meet on uh, in early November to make the final recommendation regarding this population. I, I'm a little hesitant to recommend it in children because the risk of serious illness is lower and I think it should be individualized based upon the clinician and the, in this case the pediatrician or family practice doctor uh, in doing that. Um, I look forward to the Ameri the advisory committee and immunization practices. They'll meet on November 2nd, November 3rd. I think these individuals are well respected um, and um, their recommendations will be sound uh, and we'll bring that back after that recommendations are made. And that's all for the mailbag today. If you'd like to submit a question to the mailbag, go to unipoint.org backslash mailbag. We'll answer questions about COVID-19, latest technologies and procedures, services provided at Unipoint Health, and other medical topics going on in the community. Uh, please note, however, the mailbag is not an alternative to medical a medical appointment or medical care, and any questions about personal symptoms or conditions need to be directed to your primary care physician or an urgent care if that is if the scenario warrants that. In case emergency, call 911 or go to the nearest emergency department. Once again, you can submit your questions to me at unipoint.org backslash mailbag. Uh, that's unipoint.org backslash mailbag, M-A-I-L-B-A-G. I look forward to hearing from our amazing listeners. Thank you for listening to COVID-19 Update. For more information on COVID-19 vaccines, uh, please visit unipoint.org. Thank you for listening to Live Well Talk On. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your family, friends, neighbors, strangers about our podcast. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, or wherever you get your podcast. Until next time, be well.